This is a HeadGum Podcast. Andrew, close your eyes and relax. Okay, I'm doing it. Think about the sand in your toes. <laughs> in my toes. And the ocean breeze in your ear. Yep. And the seagulls selling you hot dogs. Cool. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. And I want to take what I'm seeing in my head and I want to put it up on the internet for to make a website. Great. With Squarespace. Squarespace <laughs> is our sponsor this week. <laughs> and I'm going to take a break from Craig's ASMR thing to tell you about it. Squarespace is a great way to help to, to build a website, to claim a domain, to sell stuff online, to market your brand, and to do all kinds of other stuff. Anything your imagination can conjure from a from a beach sort of scenario to like maybe more winter based things and even non season based ideas. If they, you want to build a website that's just about <laughs> living underground, you can do that. You with can Squarespace. do that with Squarespace. They give you award winning designs, world class engineering, powerful e commerce tools, and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And if you do have a problem, they have twenty four seven award winning customer support that will help you any time of the day or night. We've been Squarespace customers for a long time. Happy with them. We think you will be too. We think you will be too. All right, everybody. Get some website summer fun going with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash overdue and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com slash overdue. Use the offer code overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And I'm relaxing on the beach <laughs> in the sun. Hopefully. I see you're clearly in your room right now, but I guess you, you're referring to what we will hopefully be doing when this comes out. It's a, it's a At 6 a.m. on Monday, baby. we're going to be on the beach. <laughs> I'm going to be listening to Springsteen and Jovi and just vibing. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not telling anybody where we're going. I'm just saying I'm going to be listening to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, Sir John Bon Jovi on on the beach, which some people would refer to as like a it's it's like a shore, you know. It's the shore of something. Yeah, you know, like the shore of some place. We might meet a guy named Mike. There might be a situation. <laughs> I hope there's not. But in any case, a, when when I became a parent, my appetite for situations went way, way, way down. Like capital <laughs> S situations, I can't handle that many of those. No, anymore. I really don't want. Parenting if, is a nonstop situation that I cannot escape from. Yeah, it's certainly, and after like a year and a half of like not really interacting with people in the wild, just like the idea of a situation. No thanks. Yeah, the situation this year is going to be that Henry is. Much, much, much more mobile than he was a year ago the last time we went to the beach. But he's about the same amount of good at listening to us mm. when we try to tell him things. So it's just going to be a lot of running up and down, I think. Yeah. Well, I got to get my steps in. So let's do a podcast first. So then we are allowed to leave for the beach because we're not going to leave until we do the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're trapped here until this we finish. our Beach Book Podcast, where each week one of us reads a book, tells the other person about it. Welcome to the month of July. Andrew has read a book. He's going to tell me about it. Andrew, what'd you read? 
I read Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang. It's oh. pretty. It's hot off the presses. This we one came in hot. hot. The presses. Why are we reading this book? Because I we were going. I was going to the beach and I was like, let's. I want to read a beach read. I'm going to read a beach read. One not because at the it'll beach, be though. Not at the beach. I want to read it so we can release it while I'm at the beach. Okay. I and just felt it would be a good like transmedia experience. If sure. I could be on the beach and my podcast could be about the beach. Kind of like but this sideways. book isn't about the beach. It's not about the beach. No, it's about like espionage. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I I did a I did a search for best beach reads and I found a list on uh, some Oprah affiliated website. Uh huh. And this this book seemed cool. Like the description was that it was it was Silicon Valley based and it had like Russian spies in it. So I was like, I like the Americans. I know stuff about Silicon Valley. This seems up my alley. And so it, so it was, I, I, I enjoyed this one a lot, but I wanted to also talk about what's a beach read other than a sort of SEO slash marketing term used by the publishing industry to promote books released in late spring and early summer. What a beach read is what Greg? a beach read is. So we're going to talk about Kathy Wang a little bit. We're going to talk about this book a little bit, but apparently Andrew really wants to talk about beach reads. Every once in a while we crack open a genre. We see what's going on in there. And here's the trick about beach reads. It's not, it's not a really genre. A genre. No. It's, not, it's a state of mind, baby. Beach reads are, it's like art, you know, you, you'll know it when you see it. I made a note, um, just like Stuart said in that Obscenity Scotus case, that you know it when you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, according to The Guardian, an article from 2016 in The Guardian, um, the first use of the term beach read, uh, especially as a marketing term, came about in the 1990s. Um, and this article goes in is like, it could be a thriller. It could be a romance. Is it exclusively mass market paper books, uh, paperbacks? <laughs> well, they are paper books. Anyway, um, does it need to be a summer <laughs> vacation story? Uh, should the book not really have any weighty themes or social significance, but like have a strong plot? Uh, I found that article via a book riot piece called "What Makes a Book a Beach Read." Yeah, I was I was reading the book riot one too. Yeah, and it's the the one thing the book riot piece goes into a little bit is that beach read has a, a bit of a history as like a sexist term just because yep. a lot of these books are like about women marketed to women. That's and that, that's a large portion of the publishing industry anyway. <laughs> it is. It is. But like the the. The reputation, I guess, they have as like easy books, yeah, is sometimes like used pejoratively or thought of pejoratively, yes, as, correct. Like talking about the kinds of books that feeble minded women would like to read on the beach, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> um, but, but that's like a it, it's, I, I wanted to do a beach read partly because I wanted to do an easy one, and when I say easy, I don't mean. That there's nothing going on, like there's no commentary, there are no ideas. Like I, I like some of what uh, Kathy Wang is doing around her, like Silicon Valley commentary. Like yeah. none of it is super, like cutting edge or or anything. But as a woman who is based in the Bay Area, as she as she is, she has some insight on like where you know, uh, speech and and PR about diversity and about uh, about you know, promoting women meets the culture that doesn't actually really meaningfully do that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it it promotes a few and sort of uses those as, you know, the you see the same like women brought up multiple times everywhere and they're, and, the, and they're just the example and it is like the, there's nowhere near parity in hiring at any of these big internet companies. So she has like she has really smart things to say about that. But what is easy about this book is it is not taking a lot of chances with like form. It's a very established like you know, about a half dozen different uh, point of views all delivered in their own discrete chapters that are headed by, you know, the name of the person whose point of view that it is. (laughs) Like, I do not think of House of Leaves when I think of a beach read. I don't know. Like, I, I don't want a book that wants me to have to work through a lot of like stylistic stuff which so, this one definitely So did. I found an electric literature article called What the F is a Beach Read Anyway where they got a bunch of good quotes from different authors. The last one is very cheeky where it's like a beach read is a book made of sand filled with people frolicking on beaches. Um but the th- the more that's useful silly. takeaways that's, that's silly yeah more useful <laughs> takeaways some quotes you're going on vacation so here's a novel that will offer you what you most want from vacation pleasure um yeah. beach read encourage you to indulge in escapist impulses and fantasies um all of which to say is that i think a beach read if it means anything is a book that you really want to read that you now have the time and mental energy to read yeah and that squares with like someone who might take you know your classic uh, you know, great American dad who's going to read a presidential biography on the beach. He never has time to do it, Andrew. He's always mowing the lawn, but now he's here. <laughs> he can listen to the birds on the radio, or not the birds, summer. He's not listening to the birds. He's listening um, to the Beach Boys. He's listening to the Beach Boys. There's a whole band that's just about the beach, Craig. Yes, and he's reading about Teddy Roosevelt or whatever he wants to read about. But it yeah. it could also be the kind of not unthrillery not unexciting but not necessarily challenging work that maybe we are here to talk about today yeah i think like a a beat i think of beach reads and like airport slash airplane books as being sort of closely related just very very uh mass market and not that that is always necessarily a bad thing or implies anything about the the book's quality but they do have a certain um like a certain connotation or a certain like reputation for being pot boilers. Yeah. And yeah, like not there. These aren't going to win a million awards, but they will make it on a lot of lists of good beach reads, which yeah. is, <laughs> which brings us back to how we found this one. And to, to close this off for me, I think the thing too is like, I've never been a successful beach, beach reader. I usually want to do, like fall down in the ocean when I go to the beach, but yeah, um, I'm not. I'm never, never actually reading on the beach. No, I think a lot of people want to have gone on vacation and have read a book. So it usually at least one. So like it helps that you're like, oh, I took this book and I read it while I was on vacation. You're not like, oh, I clocked a hundred pages in War and Peace or whatever while I was away. That's not what people want. They want to yeah. accomplish something in their leisure time. Though I did read Handmaid's Tale on our honeymoon. (laughs) Yeah, you're weird. (laughs) Let's talk about Kathy Wang. Um, She grew up in Northern California, got degrees from UC Berkeley and Harvard Business School, moved back to Silicon Valley. Do you say Silicon or Silicon Valley, Andrew? I I've is it both? It's both, right? Now that you're asking me, point I guess I say Silicon Valley. I think I say Silicon Valley also, but I think either is fine. 
As long as you're not saying Silicon Valley, I think that. Well, because that's a different thing. Yes, because that's a different. <laughs> I think if that I'm is using... a that is a strip mall that's well known for <laughs> its plastic surgery options. Yo, I think if I'm using Silicon, I think if I'm using the words as like a modifier to something else, I might say Silicon Valley, like a Silicon Valley entrepreneur or something. But if it's just yeah. if it's just hey. What are those yabos in Silicon Valley doing? I would, yeah, I would literally have to go back and listen to to me speaking to hear how I actually say it when I'm not thinking about no it. Idea. So maybe no. maybe we can figure it out before the end of the episode. Kathy uh, Wang worked at Intel and Seagate, two notable, huh? Uh, technology businesses. What do they but do? Not, like not super like sexy ones. Intel is processors and and Seagate is like hard drives and storage stuff. Yes, mostly. and I, I don't know that she was a tech person herself as much as she was like a business writer, um, at for a period of time. I don't know, um, but she started writing her first novel, Family Trust, when she took a, a break from working in either of those companies, um, was raising her family, and started writing. I think while she was pregnant with her first child. Her goal was to write a thousand words each day while her son was napping, which seems very ambitious. It's amb- it's ambitious but achievable. Like depending yes. on how long a nap your son is taking and how on task you are able to stay. The second one being my main issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's this interview with her in the uh, Los Alto Online, um, where it talks about her approach almost like it was a business product. Uh, Wang didn't diagram a plot or outline, but she did look to books she admired to study how authors make action emerge effortlessly from the characters and worlds they create. She read up on what defines an appropriate novel length, and hearing that 110,000 words is too much, cropped herself to 109,000 in the submission draft. She researched the market and knew if she wanted to query agents, she would hit a mid-June deadline before offices slowed down over the July 4th holiday. It goes on to describe her like spreadsheet of agents agents that she was sub- very like Jane Villanueva like type A creative kind of <laughs> sure. stuff mm-hmm. um, but also kind of speaks to her business background and like hey I just want to do this because I need to do something with my brain in this moment uh, and I'm going to approach it in the way that I know how which I also think is maybe why it's sl- like her work slots well into that beach read like book as product milieu right that we've kind mm-hmm. of been talking about the kind of mm-hmm. mass market thing her first novel family trust um is not a pot boiler it is like a family drama set in silicon valley um where it's mostly dealing about like wealth. i heard you thinking about yeah how you were gonna i was say reading that. it I'm and still- i wasn't sure what i wanted to say <laughs> Um, the quote from NPR, family trust is at its best when it's telling us the truth about Silicon Valley, that racism and greed operate here as well. No measure of assimilation or success can change that. Um, and she talked about writing what she knew for her first novel. Uh, so she wrote about an Asian American family uh, working in in and around that region, both in the tech sector and out. Um, and the ways in which like being at these big companies can make you feel good like you're making some good money and then you're very easily thrown into rooms with people who are way making way more than you and you feel like a disaster um and that that kind of i don't know if that feeds into why you might call your next book imposter syndrome but it certainly seems (laughs) relevant 
Well, and just the way that a character in this book deals with this too, like the the way that even your glitzy, lots of benefits, check job salary is completely devoured by uh, housing and and rental prices out there is it's pretty like you can be making what is on paper a lot of money and still be sort of doing a paycheck to paycheck or like very small savings buffer sort of lifestyle. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she came to writing this book, uh, which as we said, just came out this year um, that really just like, what if one of the world's most powerful executives in tech was a spy? Like that's just the thought she had. And she's like, let's keep rolling with it. <laughs> it's pretty rad. <laughs> it's a good I do, idea. This, th- this book does what a lot of, it does what the show Silicon Valley does, and it does what the show Mr. Robot sometimes does, which mm. is we've invented this huge world-devouring tech company. Obviously, it's Google, but it's not Google <laughs> because like Google and Apple and all the regular tech companies still do exist in this world, and we'll mention them periodically. Sure. <laughs> but imagine that there was another Google that for like creative or possibly legal reasons is not called Google and you'll, <laughs> you'll get like the big um, like mostly loved sort of feared, but nevertheless omnipresent tech company that is at the heart of all of these stories. <laughs> and well, and she has an interesting view on the tech companies, right? So in this San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle interview where I'm pulling some of these facts, she says she was a product manager before her first book. After edits on this one, she went back and was working at an autonomous vehicle startup. Quote, I see so many of the amazing innovations that come out of tech, but I also agree with a lot of the criticisms inside the writing world. People hate tech and think it's evil. Uh, I see both sides. You do start to see that sometimes really unsavory personalities are behind monumental achievements. Um, and I found an article she wrote for CrimeReads.com where she was supposed to recommend a bunch of crime fiction. And all she could come up with was nonfiction books about Silicon Valley. <laughs> she was supposed to come up with some good, like, tech-themed crime fiction. And she's like, hmm, maybe you could read Bad Blood. There's a lot, or, of, there's a lot of, yeah, read Bad Blood. That's a good book. Or that's a really good Billion book. Dollar that's the one Loser. About the, yeah. That's the one about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. She closes that article, title. Andrew, with just recommending the Steve Jobs biography. And she says, almost every tech billionaire and fraudster aspirant read this book. Founders see signs of themselves in jobs. They comfort themselves that they, too, are misunderstood geniuses. And lots of people call jobs a jerk, too. The fact that jobs is nearly universally revered now within not only the valley, but also the world, serves as additional proof that in the end, it's only the technology that matters. Or so it seems. Anyway, we should talk about the book and ground ourselves a little bit. We also need to talk about spy fiction a little bit which is definitely a genre we have undercovered on the show so hit me with what this book's premise is what's happening what goes on so yeah the premise is that the uh number two at a google-esque tech company both in like size and and scope is a actually a russian asset a la the americans okay deep deep undercover agent who has been working with the Russian since she was, you know, not since she was a kid, but since she was a, a, a young woman. Now she's like 38. Okay. Um, but she's risen to the top of this company and now is like after a lot of like 
hands-off behavior from her from her handlers like she she has been given what she needs to succeed in Silicon Valley and and rise up to the top of this organization and now that she is at the top they're coming and saying okay well you've got all these products that track people's location and like store their messages and store everything about their and, and their searches and everything about their lives and the company you're at, which is called Tangerine, which is, <laughs> <laughs> the question is always like, which fruit are you going to name your tech yeah, company that's good. after? Like in Bluey, all the laptops have like pineapples with a bite out of them. On, sure. On the lids. It's, <laughs> I like it. I like it too. Boy, you're going to watch a lot of Bluey in this I house. Cannot I cannot wait to. I, I really enjoy it. It's very Blue's good. Bluey's really good. And you have, it's, but it is weird if you don't have kids to watch kids shows by yourself well, yes so i'm i'm excited to watch it you can watch more Blue on Blue. our vacation um, anyway so uh, hold on what's her name what's her name Bluey. the green character um, <laughs> i didn't even <laughs> her name's your name's julia lerner okay great julia <laughs> is the main is the name julia gulia is in charge of tangerine julia gulia yeah she's in charge of tangerine and now she's being asked okay you've got like this encrypted messaging app a la WhatsApp, but it isn't actually as secure as everybody as as you say it is. Okay, that's like that's where the Silicon Valley commentary comes into it. Is like many of these companies talk a big game about like privacy and security and whatever, but like on the back end, it's all pretty fast and loose. There's a really good like probably my favorite like observation about the way that tech works in this company comes pretty early. Okay. Um, here was the rule at Tangerine. You don't mess with the individual, especially the important individual. Individuals with influence, individuals with money, or God forbid, ind- individuals with that ultimate power both online and in physical life, celebrity. Better to expose the social security numbers of 300 million than snoop through the messages of a model slash photographer slash influencer. Better to store a billion passwords in plain text than, quote, mistakenly ban the account of a white supremacist. Uh, better not to be Cameron Ekstrom. And thus, when the corporate voice of Tangerine spoke, there was an emphasis on the individual. We care about our users, Pierre saying. Pierre is uh, the CEO of okay. Tangerine. Okay. Uh, Pierre saying, that being you, we would never violate our users' rights because we love you. Occasionally, yes, mistakes were made, terabytes of data exposed, but it wasn't personal. <laughs> it wasn't that Tangerine <laughs> was after you as a person, and probably no one would see or care anyway, which is why you never bothered to change your password or check your credit report. Tangerine would never deliberately share your secrets, and truly you understood this. You knew it deep in your soul, which is why you spent so much time with it each day. And I think this is just like a... There's a genre of of like really optimistic about technology person who looks at like the privacy violations or like the privacy issues that a, a company the size of Google creates and says, it's fine. I'm not doing anything wrong. So yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. And it's like that sort of abdication of responsibility or that like. You know, nothing bad could happen to me. I'm not doing anything that anybody cares about. Like that—that that is, uh, what what Wang is writing there is is a really good like skewering of that of that yeah. perspective. Like, oh, totally. From both side, from both the users end and the company's perspective. Well, and like the, you, you could you could do an oopsie doopsie, but like Pobody's nerfed. We're not evil. It's just it's just an accident. But it, but I I was struck by the you don't screw with the people who actually have power even yes. though you're and, and like yes and all of these platforms certainly emphasize like 
how they democratize conversation and flatten mm. hierarchies and uh, everybody's as important as anybody else in the internet town square of our service. Yeah, but, but then but then that explains why like an Alex Jones gets a million strikes despite obviously yep. breaking the rules that everybody theoretically agrees to when they sign up for the thing in the first place. Yep. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she is being asked to leverage Tangerine for the Russians. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like she is, she's being asked to give a bunch of like search data and and location data, and st- so uh, the Russians can work further assets. I mean, usually this is this is taking the form of exploiting some inevitably male tech CEOs sexual procl- procl- proclivities. Need a second to get that word out, um, and you know, using that as leverage, like oh, we we see the searches for like underage girls or whatever sure, that you do, sure. and you have a wife and a daughter, and so we are going to uh, we're going to use that, and we know that you ha- do all that stuff because the <laughs> the person we're getting our information from is the chief operating officer at the biggest data hooveringist tech company that exists in the entire world sure sure so they know um, that info is gold and they can use it as strongly as they need to yeah yeah and and so we can we'll talk a little bit more about like julia's personality because the, the thing this book does best i think is is especially with its 2.5 or 3 main characters like it does a really good job of just like drawing them and like their contradictions and it's not, like i was kind of expecting it was it was pitched as the you know this powerful executive at this tech company is a spy and this low level employee at this tech company realizes it and then like has to do something plot <laughs> yeah yeah plot and so i was expecting kind of like a cat and mouse thing where these two people are more in like conversation with each other they actually almost never interact throughout the entire length of the book which i think that some people might be frustrating i was enjoying like the tech commentary and the like the um, the getting tech stuff mostly rightness of the book. Well, which yeah, that would speak rarely to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that I I didn't really mind that there wasn't a lot of like cat and mouse interaction between sure. the two of them, but I I could see that being a, a a critique of the of the book from okay people who aren't who are as, the as, who else do we need to know about character wise? So uh, the lower level employee is uh, Alice Liu, who is a um. She is. How does how did immigrant generations work? Would she be second generation if her parents were the ones who immigrated? No, she's she's first generation Chinese American. Then, yes, like okay. she was the first generation born in America. Yeah, or was she born in China? No, she was born in America. Okay, okay. Then she's first. I'm not generation. sure. I'm and I'm not sure that that China is actually the the country, but I believe it from from the interviews that I've read. I believe it is. Okay, okay, okay. I, w- I wasn't sure. I didn't want to assume. But if you did the research, then awesome. Um, <laughs> she is a, like a, it's kind of a low-level tech support. And she's been screwed over by men in a different way than Julia sort of has been. In, like, she was, so she was dating this other person at Tangerine. They were both on this team that did like product development for for the encrypted messaging app like with with the fair amount of prestige and and like the the people on this team are going somewhere and then uh down comes a rule from tangerine that you know they they are because of sexual harassment 
lawsuit reasons. They don't want people who are dating to be on the same teams anymore. And so because her boyfriend it was just going to leave Tangerine and start another company and make her his number two, she would step down to like this more like tech support role. Um, and so of course she does this and then he leaves and then he dumps her. Oh, great. Okay. And so she is left with a, with like a wrecked, a, a I don't know if wrecked is the word, but like a, a seriously interrupted career and no real recourse, like nothing really to do about it. Yeah. And she has, I think, internalized, um, what a lot of women and a lot of immigrants do was, is, which is the, um, the idiom about like having to work twice as hard to get the same amount yep, yep. that like a white person or a man would. Um, so she is, she is, she doesn't love her job. She is, she's good at it. Like she's, she's intelligent. She's learned with the accent over the E, but, yep. <laughs> but she has trouble asserting, asserting herself. And she has to fight back against all these like power structures that are for all the lip service that they pay to like promoting women and wanting to, uh, fix the you know the gender gap or, or whatever like the the system is still not very good at doing those things yeah um and she notices um late in one day because she doesn't she doesn't really have a lot going on in her life so she usually is just hanging out late at work and and sort of aimlessly bonking around uh, she sees on some server for the you know for the messaging app an unusual level of like activity mm. and it is it's some weird things happening here and she doesn't technically have the the uh, like the the clearance to monitor this sort of activity herself she can because there aren't actually any security safeguards in place but that if would she prevent were, her from she, doing this but if but it is technically like not her job so if she were to, to report it to like she this. would be saying i did a bad thing yeah, in the first yeah. place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and she so what she discovers is there's this user, this anonymous user on the server who's like offloading data and looking up a bunch of stuff about like government officials and and other people. Um and this person has uh what is known as god mode access, which is a thing that the company has officially disavowed that allow that gives anybody who has it basically read only access to any anything that any person anywhere on like Tangerine's network has ever done. So like searches, uh, like photos, chat history, like your, you know, your full Facebook profile, you know, like all that. You and know, not just the, not, not just the profile, but all of your activity. Yeah. And all, yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. everything. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Fun. <laughs> and so she, she doesn't know who this person is. She does use God mode, which she does have access to because, of course, the password for the user is stored in plain text somewhere because of lax security protocols on the, on the back sick, end. Of sick. This is a, an all too believable sort of, uh, it's not deus ex machina, but it would come off as a contrivance for yes. her to just be able to do all this stuff with no confidence. It, with no um with what's the word i want uh what consequence is... consequence yes for her to be able to access all this stuff with no consequence if this kind of stuff didn't happen all the time completely like, all the time <laughs> if security and privacy were not literally the last afterthought 
thing that any of these companies had ever thought about. Yep. I don't know. Maybe ethics is is lower than privacy and security, but it's pretty low. Well, and they're so related, Andrew. So I don't think <laughs> that I don't know that one can be necessarily lower than the other. But yes, I'm with you. I hear that. Okay, they're neck and neck at the bottom. There. Yeah. So um, she is now on the trail of the God Mode user herself. Yes, and so she figures out from something that the God Mode user prints um, that they send to a printer, not like royalty or the artist. Yes, yeah, 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 That they uh, they send a recipe to a printer that is in Julia's office. What a stupid mistake! What recipe? What a, stu- what a stupid mistake! But it's like a something for like chicken, some kind of chicken something. Okay, that she wants to make because. Ju- Man, we there's there's a lot to talk about with like, yeah. Julia's personality because they're so these these two characters in particular are so fully fleshed out. You also get a pretty good picture of Julia's handler Leo, which okay. I don't think we are going to get. We're not going to get as far into him because a lot of what is happening with him is also happening with Julia. But just a lot of stuff about these are deep cover people from Russia living in America. I don't know that the like the book's depiction of of Russia is sort of the stock American media version of of Russia. Like you can imagine that the, uh, anytime you go over there, everything just looks really blue because it's so cold. And the Tetris music is playing. Yeah. On any TV show, anytime anyone shows anything in Russia, it's always like really blued up. (laughs) (laughs) I saw an interview. Just like when anything shot it, like South of the border in like Mexico or something, it's it's all yellow. It's all yellow. Washed down yellow. Yeah. She, (laughs) apparently in an early draft, it was just supposed to be like vaguely Eastern European, um, and nonspecific. And she got a note that was like, no, you need, give us something to like hang our hat on that the, that the reader can like, envision the intelligence apparatus we can talk about non-specificity though there's still some stuff with non-specificity going on oh oh yeah i think Um, i think if there if that's there it's because it wasn't originally conceived to be super specific yeah and was yeah yeah yeah. i yeah because that that wasn't quite my read on it but i didn't do any any research so i'm curious to know how my read sounds to you when we talk about it but um so it's the, these two deep covered agents, and this this is something that the Americans, the TV show, uh, deals in a lot too. Is like, how much do you get used to your life in mm. America, especially if you have things as as Julia clearly does. Like she has a she's the number two executive at an enormously powerful company, um, and she, you know, her loyalty to these these people back home it, it shifts. Sure. And it waxes and wanes, especially when they are asking her for access to data that that is related to projects that, like she managed, like that she actually because she like she's actually doing the work at this company. Yes. So then it's the like chief help operating me, officer. Help me undermine the thing I did with my life. Yes. Yeah. And so she and so she gets pretty upset about that a couple of times. But it's yeah, it, it is dealing with like the, the way that these people have integrated into American society with, with Leo, a lot of it is like just like guilt about people who have died mm. directly or indirectly because of, of things that he has done about his like loneliness um, 
and and with Julia, it's about like she she has a husband who she doesn't she's not wild about, but he's there, <laughs> and her uh, first uh, daughter, and like you know you can have a daughter as a spy, but it's still actually literally your daughter, yep. and, and it is hard to separate your feelings <laughs> for that person from this job that you're supposed to be doing. So it's like there there are a lot of things that. Julia could stand to lose, but she also has a lot of like real power that is unrelated to whatever has been confer- conferred sure. upon her by her. Well, and I'll, I'll just point out: it sounds like it sounds like the we're making the Americans comparison because it's a shared touch, like the shared piece of media for the two of us. It's also a relevant and recent work of fiction about this type of character, but it doesn't sound like you experienced that similarity as like an also ran or a bad thing. It sounds like this is its own thing, at least in no, your it's, experience it's, of the reading. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty, if only because it is set in now times and oh, in sure. the 1980s. That's like helpful. If, if the Americans was constrained in its storytelling in any way, it's because it was Time portraying period. history sure. yeah, as it actually happened. And so, so that allowed that show to do one kind of, commentary and show one kind of like spy espionage experience and then this one is is a is a different one um but though so here's here's my thing about non-specificity unless you want to do plot and then get into non-specificity i but i mean like the the plot of the book is is like alice you know she she does all the tech schmoozy networking stuff that she normally doesn't do to get like access to people who can get her access to the FBI who can then do something about Julia. And then Julia is fighting against her handlers, trying to protect what she has built. Uh huh. But she doesn't like she, and she's dimly, dimly aware of Alice as a person who might know more than she's supposed to, but it is not a thing where she is like, you know, she's not steepling her fingers and, and cackling at the, the misfortune that she's bringing down on Alice's head. Like Alice registers to her as, as practically an, a non entity. Yeah. She does, she does clock her, but she doesn't view her as enough of a threat. And so at the end of the book, when, and I won't, I won't reveal the actual end of the book, but the sort of peak of the action is when Julia is apprehended by the American authorities. Like when that finally happens to her, like it is not until she like literally sees Alice watching the events from some other room in the building that she's like, Oh, this is what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sure. Now it all makes sense to me. Sure. Um, Well, and I'll just, let me share this quote from a people.com interview that Wang gave about okay. these two women um, and about her own experience as an author because I feel like this might get to this might under, underscore why you felt they were pretty well fleshed out. Yeah, it's, it's it's the meat of the book and it's it is the woman's experience of Silicon Valley from the top where mm. you are you are being used as an example all the time and you're doing all these interviews and you're doing all the women in tech panels but you know, maybe you want to preserve your status as that, you know, as the paragon of all this thing. And so you 
you carefully and you know some sometimes intentionally and sometimes not make things harder for other women around you I'm, and again yep. I'm not like implying anything about anything that any real person is doing I'm saying this is how Julia is sketched yep. uh-huh. because of the very realistic like power structures and pressures all around you're her. and you're saying things that that wang has said um and 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 she's like there, there's this line i don't i don't have it verbatim but she's she's talking about like giving interviews or, or like being up on stage and she talks about men as being 50 percent of her audience and 100 percent of her upward reporting structure oh god <laughs> yow which is very, very, very real. But um, any, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So Wang said to people, and so like two of the meatiest interviews, speaking of beach reads, two of the meatiest interviews I found on this book were from People and Entertainment Weekly, like speaking to the, uh, and like local California newspapers excited to talk about Wang. It is not like the your hoity-toity literature, you know, it's it's just interesting that that's where she was getting a lot of coverage um, and, yeah. and kind of speaks to the mass market part of the book. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, she's writing about uh, being potentially being pigeonholed and, as an you know as an Asian American writer and why she made the main character a white woman. She says, when you're a minority author as I am, who writes with an Asian last name as I do, and once you begin to understand the dynamics of the traditional publishing industry, you face the pressure to make your story a quote-unquote minority one designed to appeal along specific, predetermined lines. I'm writing a novel about spies, and I'm Chinese. Thus, the book should be about a Chinese spy. She says that she tried to do it. It didn't work. And she went back to what was working. She says, a white woman, and thus easily able to assimilate within the highest echelons of power without the author, me, having to explain all the racial dynamics she had to slog through to get there. Equally important, the employee who sought to to uncover her remained Chinese um, because women with Asian faces and nationalities can be and are American patriots because there are millions of us in the United States who hold a great affection for the countries we and our parents came from while also working, thinking, and simply being dedicated Americans. And she said similar things in a couple of different interviews where it was like important to speak to Julia's experience as a woman in tech, but also have it be a white woman so she isn't piling on the other dynamics which she wants to explore through Alice. That's right? actually I you that quote made me think about Giovanni's room actually. Oh sure, yeah. And how the the main character in that book is also white and yeah. it's not because it's not because there aren't separate issues to explore if that character were black, but it but it is a it is a creative decision made to streamline certain things and make it easier to get at the point that the author is trying to get at in that specific yeah work, work. yeah for sure so that's that's really interesting i don't um, know if if people talking about this book are going to bring up giovanni's <laughs> room a lot but like that's the way our podcast rolls baby so tell me about this non-specificity <laughs> thing and then i want to talk about spy books a little bit sure um so the the non-specificity is you know Who's not in this book? Who's not a character in this book? Who is the oft-referred-to Russian president? Oh, is there an American president? Implied. So there is when like there there is a bit in a Leo chapter where he's talking about the way that somebody in his apartment complex is a kook, and the way that she expresses 
the way that Wang expresses this is that this person has a lot of thoughts about like Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. (laughs) And so it did like, so Hillary Clinton and the 2016 election did happen. Presumably Trump is the president of this book. Okay. He's never mentioned by name and his, like the political pressures that he specifically placed on the tech industry, though, though a lot of those were, were weighted a little bit later as the presidential campaign ramped up and as, like Twitter and other companies started like fact checking him and, and you know, it, it's stuff that was happening sort of after Wang was, was working on the book. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, like Vladimir Putin is not a, is not a character in this book, which is, which felt a little weird to me, but I, my theory was just that, by mentioning neither Putin nor Trump by name, even though they're like clearly sort of visible in the background in some scenes, sometimes read to me as a, as an editor note saying, you know, don't get too political. Like don't, don't start talking about like these specific people in ways that would potentially turn off part of the mass market audience. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. It could, it could, and, it's probably that yeah. and a mix of the same reason why it's set at Tangerine and not a fictional number two at Google, right? Mm-hmm. It's easier for the reader to bring whatever their thoughts about Russia are without you needing to like say a name that might be said on the on the news. Yeah. Um which is I is like that's a more generous read of don't get too political. It's the same it's the same factual read as what you just said but I am finding a, a less like it's not about turning. It's not about not turning off the reader, but about leaving blank space for them. Which that's, you know, could, could completely totally be the case. Like I just, that is what my brain is an interesting went to. Did she re she, yeah. I saw that she like renamed. It's not whatever the, it's like she came up with her own name for the intelligence bureau in Russia too. Yeah, it's like the the SPB or the SBP. Like it's it, you know it's classic like three letter alphabet soup, so that you know what yeah, it is. And I don't even I don't even remember off the top of my head what the actual acronym for like the KGB replacement in modern day Russia is. But it but that's yeah that's what she's sure doing. sure sure sure. Okay. Um, anything else about tech or about the the way that the book how does the book depict them using the service or doing the hacking or just what do what do computers feel like in the book i mean they it's sort of elided over just they did through it through the like well and like through the the god mode artifice you don't do a lot of the like oh i'm in or oh, sure. like, oh, i've got to open i've got to open a socket to the trunk line like Fair you enough. skip all that stuff because both of the main characters have access to a user account that lets them do whatever yeah want. fair point fair point fair point and like i said you know that that i that could easily read as contrivance but for how utterly plausible it is well, and that these companies would be talking out of the side of their mouth about privacy while having like, you know, some secret yeah. mode that any that, that a couple of people have access to. I was know? also now that you say that I'm I'm struck by the fact that I was asking a very late '90s question, which is like, how did they decide to depict technology and like user accounts? Or like, 
if I want to get rewards at the grocery store, I need to set up a new account with an email address. Like, we are awash <laughs> in accounts and, like, you know, what is the content? Not content, CRMs, like, custom, just nonsense that databases. I'm just saying words now. You're just saying a lot of words, and I'm just going to let you keep going. But, like, you don't need to invent your version of the internet for this book to make sense you don't need to no. invent you could just say it's a social network and people well and you it. also you also don't need to explain a bunch of stuff yeah like people yeah. know what google is people know how facebook well i mean not how facebook works but people people like understand the basics of how these sites work and i'm not saying that everybody does i'm saying you can expect the average yes member of the book buying public to have enough of a working knowledge about the power and uh, like potential downsides of these services that you don't need to spend a lot of time explaining stuff. Sure. Sure. For sure. Though I mean, I think the book does leave, you know, breadcrumbs to like, there's a really good, um, like uh, Alice looks herself up in God mode. Oh, and the, the, there's like this this full list of what her most recent searches are, and like one of them is like, "Why do farts smell on my period?" <laughs> and it gives, and it just like it's it's it is both a funny, slightly embarrassing like character moment for mm. her, but it also serves the purpose of like getting the reader to think like, okay. Like when I what were my last twenty searches? When I when I googled like the pictures of some celebrities' feet, like a stranger could see that and think all kinds of stuff about me. Andrew, accurate and not. (laughs) When when I was making a trivia a few weeks ago, I Mm -hmm. needed I wanted to use an image of feet in one parts of one. Oh yeah, you messed up your cookies real bad, didn't you? And I had to very specifically like search for like Barbie doll feet, which in and of itself is a weird Google. (laughs) Cause I didn't want to accidentally just get up, like get on some feet list. And like, and I'm just like, if (laughs) if people are into feet, that's their own thing. But like, I'm not in that way. And I don't want those results coming at me. That's all I have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Take me off the feet list. Take me off the feet. I, I unchecked the Take box. Take me out of the out of the Foot Locker. Um, and last, let's talk about this as a spy. Not because you like said we're like this is a spy thriller, right? And it's about a Russian spy. It was pitched as a spy yeah. thriller. Yeah. So I did like uh, like a quick rundown on like spy fiction writ large. There, you can go back probably a hundred, couple hundred years and find things like it, but like. People point to the Dreyfus affair in the 19th century as like, ooh, like geopolitical espionage is a thing. So you've got Rudyard Kipling, you've got Joseph Conrad doing stuff, Sherlock Holmes has done, we talked about Scarlet Pimpernel a while ago, but then it really picks up with the World Wars and then even more so with the Cold War. You get your Johnny Fedora and your James Bond. You really get, a, especially in the English-speaking world, you get a real uptick in former spies or people mm-hmm. associated with intelligence apparatus who just start writing books because mm-hmm. there's clearly a market for it. Yeah, You get your Graham Greens and your John Le Carre's who are writing more like ethically dubious stuff or more stuff about morally dubious characters. And then you get Tom Clancy. And I we've never done Tom Clancy for the show feel like maybe we should at some point for all the dads out there enough about 
like my my brain immediately jumps to the like Rainbow Six, like the video game yeah, stuff, yeah. which immediately makes me jump to gamers, which makes me think, oh, Tom Clancy is a gamer, and <laughs> people and gamers represent whatever his political cultural views no. would be, and that takes you to an ugly place pretty quick. So I don't want to impugn Thomas Clancy if he is not that. I think way. maybe we but play. Maybe we need to. Maybe we need to. If we play it safe and do like Hunt for Red October at some point. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be a good one. And then we could talk about all submarine? the gamers without reading the gamer books. Get into a little, you know, you climb into a submarine, yeah. go undersea with Sean Connery. Yeah. So I did I real quick I went to um hit website, uh masterclass.com, which okay. has a how to write a, a spy thriller article, Andrew. Mm-hmm. It defines the th- Tell me how to do it. Okay. Well, first, with this book that you just read, agree or disagree with this statement. The spy thriller is a genre of literature that centers around a storyline with secret agents and espionage. Part action adventure and part thriller, spy stories often follow a government agent racing against the clock to thwart a big attack or uncover an enemy's plans in order to save lives, sometimes even the world. No, not really. They're they're <laughs> government agents, but they're tertiary characters. <laughs> well, she's a government agent for a different government. I mean, I guess, but you, the the way that that is framed is like we're following the FBI agent who's who's yeah. trying to track down this person, For and sure. that, that's not what this book is interested okay. in. It's it's way more interested in the dynamics of Silicon Valley and in building the characters of Julia and Alice, and to a lesser extent, Leo. It has a killer um, concept. What if a tech CEO was a spy? So it does have it does, that. This yes. is the list of tips. Does yes. it? Does it? seem like Wang researched like cool spy tools and espionage and stuff. Like, does she look up how to be a spy and what cool things spies no, do? No, unless you count like boneheaded security backdoor stuff <laughs> from tech companies as a cool gadget. Okay, no. <laughs> great. Uh, this says create an incredible protagonist. Great, great tip. First of all, Alice is an incredible protagonist in how like, utterly like she's got her immigrant experience which ad- which adds a lot of like shading to her character which sure. is which is interesting but like as a person she's kind of like a like an every person she's meant like, to be yeah. yeah 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 she's not she's not a james bond she's not james bond she's, she's not, not a um she's not the girl with the dragon tattoo she's not uh, what's the character's born. name from alias He's not the. She's not the born. He's not born anything. No, she was like born, born with an identity. identity, but she is not the born identity. No, she's not. Um, do characters get sent on big missions? Yes, I think so. Yeah, kind not of. Not save the world, but yeah, but like go tell us this guy's location data so we yeah. can kill him in a Florida airport. <laughs> okay, are there action scenes in the book? Eh, not really. How does tension work in the book? Like, is there stuff that like, oh, I can't wait to find out what happens next? I mean, you do. There is the sense of a of a net closing in around Julia, who is a character that you've been following the whole time and following the whole time, and um, like a lot of sympathy for her position has been built by spending so much time in her head. That, okay, that's sort of where it is. Okay, yeah. And uh, just any of these page turning literary devices. This is the last one on the list of tips. Okay, plot twists. Sure cliffhangers not really foreshadowing no red herrings kind of all right so on on according to masterclass.com this is like a spy thrill 
It's like it's a spy character study. Yeah. It is, okay. And again, like, well, so the Americans had a lot of action sequences, so it's not as good of a touch point. But it is the part of the Americans that was a study of these spies' inner lives and the conflict and the things that drove them. That is that is more what the book is interested okay. in. Okay. Cool. And what it succeeds in doing. Great. Well, nobody, I don't think at any point has a gun. Huh. Nothing explodes. Nobody jumps away from any explosions. See, this is interesting because I sometimes might want to read about those things on a beach, but I don't want to be on a beach where those things are happening. So this sounds good to me as a beach read. Yeah, no beach explosions for me, thanks. Unless it's like a whale, but like far away. Unless it's like an explosion of, of camaraderie and friendship. And that's what we're headed off to do because we finished <laughs> this podcast, baby. Nice. Put on the bye. board shorts. Bye, Here idiots. We come. Bye. See you never. Baby, we were born to run <laughs> to the beach. <laughs> so, Andrew, thanks for telling me about this book. Thanks for um, you're welcome helping me learn how to pronounce that place where all the computers come from and the computer people live. Yeah. However way we pronounce it, we did it right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Folks can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com if they want to tell us about their favorite their favorite spy novels that we should read. Send us an email. Uh, it seems like we got some new like followers and folks listening on Twitter and Facebook. That's at overduepod this week. Welcome. If you're new, tell a friend. Do you know why? Or I don't know happens? why. I'm kind of putting okay, it out cool. there to see if anybody <laughs> wants to tell me. If you found us recently, let us know how. We'd love why. to thank them. We'd love to do whatever it is we did again. All that good stuff. Maybe like get some crossover episodes going. You know, we got plans. Who knows? Uh, thanks to Sarah, Lucas, Becky, Carolyn, Janina, Nora, Kel, Sal, Ingrid, Benjamin, and more for reaching out to us on social media in the past week. Our theme song uh, it was composed by Nick Larangis. Thank you, Nick. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have uh, links to our show's pages on Apple and Google. We have our RSS feed. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. Anywhere you can get fine podcasts, we are there watching always like Tangerine. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> we also have on that website links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Uh, Craig, I don't know if you have our July I schedule do. to hand to Just read Just vamp for a, a second. second and I'll have it ready to read. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, click those links, buy the book from bookshop.org and you get a book. We get a cut for referring you there and your local independent bookseller gets a cut for selling you a book, which is their whole thing. Uh, also patreon.com slash overdue pod to uh, support the show more directly and to get bonus episodes and some other stuff uh, before they drop on the main feed. If Craig, you're you listening, look ready to go. Yes, if you're listening to this, the week it came out while Andrew and I are still at the Undisclosed Beach. Uh, on the beach, fun in the sun. Keep an eye on your feed. Uh, this Friday, our Gideon the Ninth episode, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, um, was our most recent bonus episode. We had a good time. It'll hit the main feed on Friday. Our July schedule, we just talked about Imposter Syndrome by Kathy Wang. Next week, we're going to be talking about Train Spotting by Irvine Welsh. Following that, House of the Spirits by Isabel Allende. And then closing out with Heap House by Edward Carey. Then you'll also see towards the end of the month our next two episodes of Jagged Little Mill at Don Quixote uh, Roadshow Podcast. Um, he's just out there. Gallivanting in Spain. Looking at antiques. Looking at antiques. 
he is an antique. Anyway, that's the show. Those are the shows coming up. Andrew, I got my bathing suit on and my towel ready. I got to get out of here. Yeah, we got to go to the beach. Okay, everybody, we'll uh, see you next time, but we'll have tans. And until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.